I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Well, hello there, and welcome to LiveWire, everybody. My name is Luke Burbank. I am your host. I hope you're having a great week. We have a fun, kind of unique podcast for you this week. Uh, A little shorter than normal, but I think quite fascinating. It is our actual original interview with Elena Passarello. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it's because Elena is now our show's announcer. But back in November of 2017... When she was on the show as a guest, because she had written a great book called Animals Strike Curious Poses, uh, we were just chatting with her, kind of like we do with lots of folks. But here's the thing. We were also looking for an announcer for the show. And as I was talking to Elena in this interview that you're about to hear, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, gosh, this is a very smart, fun, charismatic person. Somebody that maybe could be our show's announcer. That's the thought I'm having in the back of my mind during this interview. And then, of course, uh, after the show was done, we waited an appropriate amount of time like you do. And then we asked her and Elena said yes. And she has now been the announcer on our show for a year. In fact, this month is the one month anniversary. So we thought it would be fun to go back and listen to the kind of origin story of how Elena ended up part of Livewire. Her other book, by the way, is Let Me Clear My Throat, which is also amazing. Can't recommend either of her books uh, highly enough. Or maybe it is I can't recommend both of them highly enough. I'm not great with grammar. You know who is great with grammar? Elena Passarello, because she's also a professor of creative writing at Oregon State University. She does a million things, by the way, so uh, ask her about it sometime if you come to a show. Uh, In the meantime, though, let's take a listen to this. It is our chat with our now announcer, Elena Passarello. Elena, welcome to LiveWire. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Hi, everybody. (laughs) This book is amazing. Um, I I was reading it this week, and I think I went into it expecting one sort of thing, because it's described as a book about animals, uh, and it is, but it's also a book about how we relate to animals, and you you cover so many different forms of writing in it. I mean, it's it's really, really well done. So congratulations. Well, thank you so much. That's amazing to hear. Thank you. I'm wondering how you decided which animals you were going to write about. 
Oh, sure. So uh, I said, when I knew I wanted to write a book about animals, uh, one of the first things I realized is that is not a very small topic. There yeah. are, there's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, there are more animals than there are people, and uh, I don't have a ton of time. I had a deadline. So I set all these little restrictions for myself, uh, trying to make the amount of topics that I could talk about smaller and smaller. And one of the things that I came up with was all of the animals in the book had to have a name. So someone in the course of human history had to have decided to give that animal a name and put it down in the historical record in some way. That meant that all of the animals in the book were going to be famous. So uh, I ended up picking 15 sort of celebrity animals over the course of human history. Well, you start in the ancient past. Like you start with, is it pronounced yucca? I think so, yeah. This uh, mammoth calf. Found in, I guess, is it Siberia? Yes, yes. Well, 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 tell me the story of Yuka a little bit. Well, I guess I should say that she, we don't, she wasn't named Yuka by a bunch of cave people or uh, something. Like, there's no, it wasn't like written, you know, in a, on a, some line. They went through thing. her wallet and they found yeah. her student ID card said Yuka. That's right. There was another mammoth right next to her that had Yuka with a heart on it tattooed yeah, on they its were, they trunk. They put two and two together. Yeah, they figured it out. Uh, she, uh, she was found in Siberia near a town, or the town, the closest town to where they found her was, is called Yukagir. So that's how she got the name of Yuka once, uh, well, she sort of fell out of the permafrost in Siberia. This is something that's happening quite a bit now with the, uh, the changing temperature of that part of the world. It's much easier. Very diplomatically put, by the way. <laughs> I like how you're just... Climate change! We're going to be dead in like 20 years, Elena. Just face it. Yeah. But we're going to find some mammoths before, before that happens. So that's silver right. lining alert, I guess. Yeah, but I was actually very interested in how, the, how yucca was discovered because you write in the book that it was... It should have been harder to unearth yucca, but it really like wasn't for the person who found her. Yeah, I think it's, it's become sort of an industry in that part of the country because the, the, the ground is softer. They're much, they reveal themselves much more quickly and they're much easier to unearth. So there's a big kind of war because there are people who want their tusks for commercial reasons and then scientists who are just desperate to learn more about these 40,000-year-old creatures that are intact and easy to investigate. Yuka had her own fur still on her. And it which was, you describe as being essentially kind of bright red? Yeah, she was a redhead, which when I was growing up and I saw these sort of imagined pictures of woolly mammoths, they were all brunettes. So uh, wh why, were you, why were you attracted to yucca as a topic? Well, so I, I, she showed up kind of late in the process when I already knew that I wanted to write about animal celebrity and that I wanted to write about the various ways that humans looked at animals, all the way from the Chauvet Cave paintings in France to today with uh, like Cecil the Lion and, and Pizza Rat and all these kind of contemporary famous Yeah, there animals. is a dedication in the book to Pizza Rat. Yeah. Sort of. But then you say you're joking, you actually dedicate it to somebody else. But Pizza Rat does play yeah. somewhat of a role in this book. Pizza Rat's my boy. Yeah. yeah. For people that don't know, Pizza Rat was a rat in the New York subway that was dragging a piece of pizza. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about uh, Gonda the Rhinoceron. Um, this was a, a rhino that had been captured in Sumatra that was being brought around to other countries and displayed, and then there was a woodcut made mm -hmm. that became sort of famous in its time, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is one of my favorite stories that I found when I was putting the book together, and I rarely get to talk about it because the essay is so intense. I, I don't read it at bookstores and stuff. It's just a lot of like art history and visual descriptions, so I'm so happy to tell you. Uh, uh, in 1515... 
uh, a rhinoceros had not showed up in Europe or been brought to Europe in over a thousand years, not since the Colosseum in Rome. And one of them finally made it to Portugal where it was a gift to a head of state there. And somebody saw it and then wrote a description of it and sent it up to uh, Germany uh, where Albrecht Dürer, who uh, this sort of famous painter and artist, uh, kind of gave us the idea of the four horsemen of the apocalypse through some of his drawings. He made this woodcut out of this rhinoceros based on the description that was sent up the road. And it's just wrong. <laughs> and there was no fact-checking, right? It's 1515, right. and nobody had seen a rhinoceros in, in forever. And so uh, and he's, he's drawn it. It's just this beautiful thing. It's uh, kind of wearing armor, and it's got this kind of... Uh, this expression, like it's just kind of put upon expression, and it's got an extra little horn that they call the Durer hornlet that's sort of sticking up like a little stiletto, like in between its ears. Uh, but this coincided with woodcuts becoming very affordable because the printing press was getting going in the, in the northern renaissance. This was sort of the tabloid of its day, right? I mean, this yeah. was the fastest way to reproduce images and get them out there to the world. It was brand new. Art was affordable. I call, and I am not the only person who calls Ganda or Durer's rhinoceros, uh, as she or, she or he is known, the first viral image. The first image to ever go viral was this incorrect huh. rhinoceros. And it continued for hundreds and hundreds of years. Another rhinoceros didn't show up, or this kind of rhinoceros didn't show up in Europe until the 18th century. So this wrong rhinoceros has been a rhinoceros to Europe longer than an actual rhinoceros has ever been a rhinoceros to them. I want to remind the radio audience, we are not high right now. <laughs> Even though this seems like a stoner conversation. We have Elena Passarello here. Her book is Animals Strike Curious Poses. Uh, you're, you write in the book about a number of different kind of famous animals throughout time. You also write about your childhood obsession with animals, and you've kind of described your relationship with animals as, quote, messed up. Yeah. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, this was, like, late in putting the book together, I realized that I was sort of incriminating all these different groups of people over time for the way that they looked at animals incorrectly, like the all of Europe in the 16th century. And I was like, i got to come clean, because I'm no Jane Goodall. I'm, you know, a kid from the suburbs who watched cartoons and went to the zoo. Uh, so I tried to think of an animal that best personified, or, not, or animal-sonified. Uh, that can be a word. That's a thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, and the one that I came up with was Lancelot. And I don't know if we have any uh, end of Gen Xers who remember Lancelot, but Lancelot was a Ringling Brothers Barnum & Bailey circus star uh, who was a unicorn, sort of, uh, if anybody remembers him. He was a little shorter than the unicorns in like The Last Unicorn. He had sort of, his hair was sort of more permed. He had this sort of long curly hair. So if you, if you look deeper into the Lancelot controversy, it turns out, I hope I don't give anything away here, that Lancelot was actually a goat. <laughs> There's a patent for it that runs at the US Patent Office. Uh, it's called pedicling, and it's where you could take a baby goat and change its horn buds when it's very, very young so that uh, instead of growing in two spots, uh, it grows in one. Uh, yeah, I know. It's kind of gross. Yeah, that doesn't seem great for the goat. And, and by the way, yeah. I mean, that's like sort of the understatement of the show so far. But right. I mean, this is an example among many examples in the book of basically humans kind of mistreating animals, sometimes knowingly and sometimes unknowingly. Mm -hmm. like you have um, one of the essays about Harry the, the turtle is written from the perspective of a turtle that Charles Darwin has picked up. 
on Galapagos, I presume. That's right, a Galapagos Island tortoise. That kind yeah. of falls in love with, with Darwin. Yeah, I, I think my book is maybe the only one on the shelves today that has a sex scene between the father of modern evolution and a Galapagos Island tortoise. I think you're right about that. I think that is the only book doing that, yeah. probably. <laughs> um, was that one of the messages that you wanted to transmit with the book, how we have really mistreated and made the lives of animals much worse in a lot of ways? Yes. Uh, I wanted to... I wanted people to see that it's complicated. It's full of emotional uh, attachment and love and storytelling, but often and almost always taking an animal into a place where it is in a cage, uh, some kind of cage, uh, and, and engaging with it in a way that isn't necessarily the best thing uh, for it. But at the same time, some of our greatest emotional content comes from the way that we've engaged with these animals. So that's why I thought Lancelot was kind of perfect, because he's not like some free-flying like goat uh, on an alp somewhere enjoying himself. That's not my relationship to animals. As a 21st century human, my relationship to animals is this bedazzled horn, permed, surgically altered goat who's being just worshipped in this circus arena. Like they had him on a little dais and this lovely lady was like, sort of like petting him, and he was like, sort of shaking as the the. And the, you, the, you, you witnessed this with your own eyes yeah, as a kid. Yeah, a ton of us did. If you go on the internet, it has scarred like half of my generation. These people who just saw this like crazy goat with a unicorn horn, and I loved Lancelot. So that's what it means to be a 21st century lo- human looking at animals. Now, it's that. It's whatever whatever that exchange is between weird six year old me. And this other animal is sort of unnatural creature of, of emotion and imagination and color and gaudiness, you know? Did you, in the process of researching and, and writing this book, did your, the way you think about animals and even the way that you live your life as it relates to animals change at all? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, always, I thought when I was putting the book together that it was going to be a lot of me really freaking out over the most exotic animals I could find, the, like the charismatic megafauna, right. as they're called. But you know what really got me was how close I now feel to the animals that I wrote about that are species that I see every day. So there's a pigeon in my book, there's a spider in my book, the chickens that I read about, horses, that now like our starlings, which are this you know, amazing bird that aren't even supposed to, it's not even supposed to be on this continent, right? Really? Do you know why there are starlings on the North American continent? Do tell. There's one reason. It's William Shakespeare. Really? So I don't know the name of this gentleman, but sometime during the Victorian era when a lot of people had a lot of bad ideas, this guy wanted to put... (laughs) (laughs) That's a generous way to describe that period of history. Uh, There are a lot of them, actually. Uh, This guy wanted to put all the birds that were ever named in any Shakespeare plays into Central Park. And so they... They were successful with this? They brought them in, and a lot of the animals, a lot of the birds, they were like, hey, this sucks to live here, but the starlings were like, let's go. Uh, and, <laughs> and they actually became, they're an invasive species, so they took over the habitats and the food sources of a lot of native uh, birds, so uh, a lot of birders really look kind of down on starlings as these kind of invaders, but um, I love, every time I see one, it's because one day Shakespeare wanted, he just mentions in Henry, I think it's Henry the Fourth. Uh, I think he compares this guy's stuttering to a starling or something like that. And that's, that's the reason that when, when you're out in your yard tomorrow, this, this beautiful mass, this murmuration of starlings. Is, is, that what, is that what a group of starlings is known as? Yup. A murmuration? Isn't that great? That is awesome. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. I like, thought that was, if you have over 10 public radio listeners, it's a murmuration <laughs> of 
public. No, it's Starlings. No, I think that's good. I, I will be remiss if I don't ask you a little bit about this, um, this screaming contest that you won uh, in New Orleans. You wrote another really great book called Let Me Clear My Throat, and you talk about your experience in this screaming contest. So you were the first female to win it. How does the contest work? What did you do? Why do you think you won? All of that. Well, the, the, my book was about the human voice, and I was looking at all these moments of extreme vocal American mo- culture, right? So Howard Dean is totally in the first book. Huh. But for me, the quintessential moment of, Remember when that could lose you an election? Yes, right? <laughs> if he would have done you that now... You were too excited when you said the states you were going to try to win. You have feelings. Yeah, I think about that all the time. Um, but similar to uh, Howard Dean, uh, I think Marlon Brando, when he yelled Stella, the world paid attention in a really special way. Right. So they have this contest, and they've had it for, uh, I think, well over 30 years now uh, on Tennessee Williams' birthday uh, in Jackson Square in New Orleans. And they put, like, a Stella up on a balcony, and you just show up, and you scream at her. And then there are these, like, celebrity judges who uh, figure out if you make it to the finals, which are in a little theater, and then you scream again. And then if you win, you get, like, a, a tote bag. <laughs> and, like, like, a ticket to, like, rock and bowling or whatever. <laughs> and, and bragging rights, you know? Yeah. Uh, and there's a T-shirt in it that was way too big for me because uh, the, a woman had never won it before, you know? And women have won it since, by the way. Right, right. And you said that now sometimes the women will yell Stanley instead of Stella. It's kind of been flipped around. Women always, when they entered, would yell for Stanley, and they put a Stanley up there in, like, a white T-shirt. But for me, if you're going to go, you got to go with the Stella. It's a much better thing to scream out yeah. loud. That beautiful A at the end, it's just this, like, like guttural opera sound, you know? Did you, did you think you were going to win going in? No, I thought I was going to go, and I was going to write an essay about losing, right? Trying to, like, put on this iconic male American figure and, and losing and, you know... There's a lot more tension in that anyway, so I thought right. I'd make a better essay. So, I mean, I have to, I'm sorry to do this to you, but I think we're going to, we have to hear a scream. Okay. I feel like we're in the presence of greatness here, and it would be a real missed opportunity if we didn't. Well, it has been uh, six years. Do you feel like you were better at screaming six years ago? Very much so. Was yeah. That a, what's that a result of? Well, I drink less now. Uh, and I think that... <laughs> so I have more inhibitions. Well, so in a roundabout way, you're telling me I might be a world champ Stella screamer and didn't even know it. I think the key to a really, really good scream that you're only going to do once, not like if you're a professional screamer, like a screamo musician or something, is to really be loose. And for me, bourbon is a great loosener. All right, so with those caveats that it was six years ago and that you don't have any bourbon... We're all on the edge of our It's like if, like, seats. Greg Luganis, like, stopped diving, and then somebody was like, hey, give it a shot, and he has, like, a suit on, and you're like, come on, Greg. Not that I'm the Greg Luganis yeah, I was gonna say, screaming, I mean, I think you know? he spent his whole life perfecting his diving, and I think yeah. you just got drunk in the French Quarter and screamed Stella, but there are that, similarities. No, that's, I mean, that's how, that's, like, the up, the up, up, I think I prepared more for this than most of the people who are just, like, literally walking down the street, and they just start screaming, and then Just people, trying to win some beads or something, yeah, probably. Yeah, they just want beads, yeah. All right. Uh, thank you for humoring us. This is Elena Passarello. Her book is Animals Strike Curious Poses. She is being very generous by giving us a, a Stella scream here. And, and maybe after I yell it, if you guys could yell, what? 
Oh, that's good. Because if I was Stella, you know, in the movie, Stella doesn't get to talk, right? She's this silent female, and he screams and screams, and then she sort of just sulturally comes down, and they kiss. But I think Stella should have just been like, what? You know? So maybe... So the- Okay. That'll make me feel better. So after she s- screams Stella, we have people that are plugging their ears in the second row of the theater. I don't... You've lived a very, very protected life. If you're, if you're actually worried, you're going to get <laughs> RL damage. That's good. I continue. I'm, I'm happy for you. All right, here we go. Are you ready? All right, here we go. One, uh, count me down. One, two, three. One, two, three. That was amazing. By the way, I'm glad you were plugging your ears. That was way louder than I expected it to be. It hurt, right? It's like a Gallagher show, only with sound. Unbelievable. Elena Passarello, everybody. That was then unknown to us author, and now very well known to us announcer, Elena Passarello from back in November of 2017, uh, right here on Livewire. All right, coming up next, we have This is the Kit. That's not me just describing something that the Amazon drone dropped off on your front door. This is the Kit is actually the alias of a British musician named Kate Stables. Uh, She was on tour back in 2017, and we got her to come by the Livewire stage and play some of her, uh, I guess you could call it melancholic folk music. Uh, this is the kit is going to be touring the West Coast this summer, so be sure to check her out if you're in the area. Uh, check this out, though, first. This is This is the Kit on Livewire. This is a song called Hotter, Colder. Out went all the lights and up jumped all the spirits. Jumped all the spirits out when all the lights Then was someone riding, riding on your shoulder Guiding you through darkness, playing hot or colder
That's This Is The Kit. Their latest album is Moon, Shine, Freeze. That's This Is The Kit right here on Livewire. And that is going to do it for this little podcast short. A big thanks to Elena Passarello uh, for being awesome and now being our announcer. Thanks for This Is The Kit uh, for being on the show. Thanks to Melanie Sevchenko for helping put this whole thing together. And very good luck to our dear friend and the executive producer of our show, Laura Haddon, who is departing for some maternity leave. So good luck with that, Laura. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. If you want to find out more about Livewire, where you can get all of our podcasts or come to our live shows or get our newsletter or any of those things, head on over to livewireradio.org. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Luke Burbank. And we will see you next week. PRI Public Radio International. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review. Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time, because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.